God is good all the time. Hey, I've got a great story just before I walked in here. So you guys know out at the bookstore, we've got Christchurch stuff, right? Well, I was talking to somebody who stopped me right before I came in. They said that they were on vacation and they were hiking. And they were in a very specific location and coming down a mountain. And someone approached them and said, I am sorry, but I'm having an anxiety attack. Would you pray for me? And she thought, why in the world would a random person come and ask me to pray for them? And she looked down and she had a Christchurch shirt on. It identified her as somebody that would pray for someone. So when you wear these things, when you wear the gear, a golf shirt or whatever, put a sticker on your car or whatever you do, realize that you're identifying yourself. You're saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I care and I'm here. And you never know what God may do. Welcome to Soul Salsa 2023. Last week we picked up this summer series with Psalm 10. We learned that God can handle our hurt, our pain, and our disappointment. We can take all of these things to him because he actually cares for us. The challenge is to pour out our brokenness and then allow God to fill us with his presence. Some of you said, I've asked God to fill me and fill me and fill me, but it doesn't ever seem to happen. God can't fill something that's already full. You got to pour out your brokenness, repent of your sin. And then God is in a position to fill you with his presence. This week we're going to explore Psalm, 10, Psalm 11. For some of you who may struggle with anxiety, uh, this is going to be an incredible psalm for you. And I, I would just encourage you to take a few notes, jot a few things down, because this is powerful stuff in overcoming fear and anxiety. For the purpose of our series, we've got five definitions. Here we go. Soul is the essence of every human being. So nobody, for example, is going to, uh, you know, your, your soul is not how you appear. It's who you are. We are all doing things to alter our appearance, except possibly for me. I went to get my hair cut, and the person cutting my hair said, I've got a, something I'd like to say if that's okay. And I said, well, that's, that's fine. She said, well, just so many guys your age have their hair dyed and they've had all kinds of surgery and they're trying to look 30. You just seem to be going with it. And I said, well, if that's a compliment, thank you. <laughs> yeah, if that's a compliment, I'm feeling good about it because clearly that's what we're doing here. Soul, the essence of every human being. Salsa, an upbeat, exciting, dynamic, and attractive life. Just an attractive life. Church, an exciting place where lives are transformed. I hope every time you walk into this house, you are anticipating God doing something in your life. A Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, filled with spirit, passion, creativity, and life. Ministry, the heart-pounding, dynamic work we do as the physical presence of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're shooting toward. That's what we're shooting toward. How do we get there? That's why we're exploring the Psalms. This is probably a psalm that David wrote when he served in the courts of King Saul as a young man. 
Everything he did in those days was blessed by God. It was appreciated by the people. And then something happened to David. He got more popular than his boss. People began to sing in the streets. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul began to get jealous at first. Then he became obsessed about killing David. And then the Bible says it finally eroded to a point where an evil spirit afflicted him. Psalm 11 springs from a time when David is seeking the counsel of his friends. And their friends, or his friends, advised him to run. Run. David knows that life on the run is a hard life. But clearly, as David writes, he's in a tight spot. His advisors are convinced that it's only through hiding in the desolate mountains around the Dead Sea that David will be able to find any semblance of safety. As David ponders their advice, faith begins to well up in him. Have you ever felt faith welling up in you? Faith just starts welling up in him, perhaps like it did when he was a boy and he faced the giant Goliath. And he realizes that God is his only source of protection. God's the only shot he's got. I want you to imagine that there's a product on the market called Anxiety Eradicator. I buy something at the cabin called Mosquito Eradicator. What if there was a product called Anxiety Eradicator? If it was offered for sale, what do you think people would pay? What would be worth to you to be free from guilt and past regrets, oppression, depression, anxiety, fear, and apprehension? I know I'd shell out a few bucks. I know people who would give everything they have. How might such freedom from anxiety change our disposition? Just the way we carry ourselves, the energy we bring into a room. How might it change our health status, our thought lives, our stress loads? Can you even imagine what it would feel like to not carry that heavy weight of fear and anxiety around 24-7, 365? Do you even remember what it's like to have inner peace? If we had inner peace, we could sleep at night. We'd eat less. We'd drink less. We could somehow calm that tempest that rages in our heads. But most of all, we just never have to be afraid. When I talk about a soul salsa life, I'm not referring to two or three hours a week when we come to church. I'm also not referring to those moments in life when we can temporarily pull it all together, slap makeup on our blemished souls, and appear well-adjusted, stable, and in control. I'm talking about developing a mindset, a, a spiritual disposition, a sustainable belief system that carries us 24-7, 365, during the good times, during normal time, and during the bad times. I'm talking about learning to onload an inner peace that comes from knowing that we are protected by someone infinitely greater than ourselves. I'm occasionally asked to describe my days as an athlete, and I tell folks that I was consistent, and every so often I got hot. 
It really describes my Christian life as well. I don't know if any of you can relate, but I'm very consistent, and then every now and then I get hot. I hold things steady, but I do appreciate those spiritual highs, those game-changing insights, the Easter's and Christmas Eve's that just blow me away, the horse trough Sundays where the Holy Spirit just seems to settle on us, those sermon series that hit, those times when faith sizzles and the pace is dizzying. Those are fun. But that's not all the time. Life's also forced me to slow down long enough to wrestle with the big questions of faith and calling and life and death. Today we're going to explore one of those basic questions. And I'm going to put it in the most simplistic of terms. Does God truly have you in his hands? Does God truly have you in his hands? Josh Gillum and I were talking this week about how that many songs are actually prophecies. We sing truths that the Bible states, but we may or may not be feeling that in the moment. Last week we sang, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I suspect that even as you sang last week, a lot of you probably weren't feeling overly joyful. Perhaps you brought anxiety and fears to church with you and you forgot to leave them in your car. So is it hypocritical to sing the joy of the Lord is my strength when you're not feeling joy? I would argue it's quite the opposite. As we sang, we're stating a fact. The joy of the Lord is our strength whether we are tapping into it or not. I want to suggest that God does indeed have you. God has that situation that you couldn't manage to leave in the car. God has you in his hands. So we're going to sing again today. You notice I have no musicians behind me. And I'm going to lead us. So you won't be tempted to think, wow, I shouldn't sing so I can listen to him sing. It's not going to be anything like that. It's like going to a Beach Boys concert now. You're going to sing. You're going to sing. So here we go. We're going to do he's got the whole world in his hands. Are we ready? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. One more time. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 I want you to listen to the words of David because he's going to write He's writing from a place we've all been, a tight spot. Just a tight spot. Verse 1, trust in the Lord for protection. Where do you go when your world is falling apart? To whom do you turn when that dream job turns into a nightmare, that fairy tale relationship turns into a horror movie? Or your faith begins to crack at the very point where real life and immature theology meet. 
David said in all times in life, we can trust the Lord to protect us. We don't have to hide from God because, because God hides us from danger. I've come to the realization after four years of navigating political divides and culture wars, a denominational crisis, a pandemic, a disaffiliation, and Melissa's cancer treatments, that if God doesn't protect us, we don't have a chance. Can I just hear an amen from somebody? If God doesn't protect us, we, we don't have a chance. And yet, I am here to testify that God does protect us. How do I know? Did I mention that I am here to testify? Sometimes just the fact you're here is a testimony to God's protection in your life. I bet a lot of you would tell me right now there were times in your life when you thought you were dead, when you should have been dead, and for whatever reason, you are here right now. Sometimes just getting to church is a testimony to the protection and the presence of God. Sometimes just getting here is a win. The fact you are here is a win. It is a testimony to God's protection. And David says, so why do you all say to me, fly to the mountains? Saul's obsessed with killing David. His advisor said, run for your life, kid. And David simply answered, why? Why? There are a lot of people today whose default is to run when things get bad. Their job is tough, so they quit. Their marriage turns difficult, so they quit. The church isn't perfect, so they quit. God isn't turning out to be a DJ in the sky who plays all their requests, so they quit. Many people live their whole lives on the run. Something is perfect, and then it's not, and then they run. And the most peace they'll ever get is to get far enough ahead of their past that they can rest just a minute before it all catches back up with them again. The great pitcher Satchel Paige quipped, never slow down, something might be gaining on you. Meatloaf bellowed, you can't run away forever, but there's nothing wrong with getting a good head start. That is simply the worst advice ever. <laughs> Horrible, it's just as bad as follow your heart. Boy, is that terrible advice. Let me tell you why you can't run. Because you'll never find a place to stop running. You'll never find a place to stop running. When I was teaching my grandsons to play baseball when they were little, the very first lesson we had is how to get hit by a baseball. That's number one. So they're about this tall. They're out there with their little bats, and I'm up there firing tennis balls at them. The whole idea is when the ball's coming, you need to go like this. You say, what about this? This is stupid. I'm trying to raise men here. <laughs> so the fact is that the ball's inside, you go like this and you just wear it and you go down to first. And when you are like this, there's, the ball's not gonna hit anything that's gonna permanently injure you. And I always told my grandsons, do you wanna know why you don't have to be afraid of the ball? And they'd look at me with huge eyes and I'd say, because it is gonna hit you. It is. You don't have to be afraid of the ball because it is gonna hit you. And if you do what I tell you, you're going to go down to first and you're going to be just fine. 
And with any luck, it'll lead to a great big bruise. And with any luck, it'll have stitch marks. And you can show all your friends and you will get hard-nosed points. (laughs) You want to know why you can't be afraid of the ball? Because it will hit you. You want to know why you can't run? Because you'll never find a place to stop running. I was about two years into my first full-time church job as a youth director. And things weren't going great. I really thought the devil was attacking me, and looking back, I was an idiot. (laughs) Good things and good ministry was happening, but pushback was mounting. And the more it mounted, the more I tended to aggravate the people who were aggravated. Possibly at times on purpose, and that wasn't great. But I can tell you this, when you're trying to do good ministry, and all you get is pushback, it does take the life out of you. I don't know if you've ever been on staff at a church, but maybe you volunteered somewhere and took a lot of responsibility on. When you just get pushed back and pushed back and nothing ever seems to go well, it just takes the life out of you. As I was trying to navigate through this really tough period in my life, I got a dream job offer. Just came out of nowhere, but it was the dream job for me at the time. And it felt like a lifeline. And then I made the mistake of praying about it. You ever do that? Things seem really good and then you pray about it and then all of a sudden, not not great. I clearly heard God say, if you take this job now, you'll never learn to work through the difficulties of ministry. You'll be on the run your whole career. Be faithful where you are, even though you are disappointed and you do not feel appreciated. And when things improve, and they will, I will have the next step for you. That's what God spoke to my heart. So guess what I did? I turned down the dream job. I got out of my own head. Is there anybody here who needs to get out of your own head? I got out of my own head. My ministry took off. God called me into the pastorate and I headed for seminary the next year. It is 100% safe to say I would never have become the pastor of Christ Church in 1997 had I not turned down a dream job in 1988. You want to know why you can't run? Because you'll never find a place to stop running. Did you come here for a word for the Lord this morning? Hear it. Stop running. Stop running. English Prime Minister Winston Churchill said in World War II, you cannot appease an aggressor. Satan is an aggressor. The more he takes from you, the more he's going to want. And if he can get you on the run, he will take up residence in your head and he will hunt you down forever. David questions his friend's advice because he knows that running never solved anything. He didn't kill Goliath by running away from the giant. He killed Goliath because he surprised the giant by running right at him. Goliath had never seen anything like David. Verse 2, the wicked shoot at the upright from the shadows. Satan does not fight fair. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Satan does not fight fair. He targets God's people and he shoots from the shadows. He steals, kills, and destroys the innocent through innuendo, gossip, and rumor. Satan walks the earth like a hungry lion looking to devour the weak, the helpless, the foolish, the distracted, and those on the run. Satan is a master at allowing the smoke to start the fire. When Melissa and I regularly hiked the Smoky Mountains, we would often stumble 
on black bears in back trails. Normally, black bears are in a pretty good mood. And they either amble away or ignore us. But on one occasion, we surprised a mother bear who had two young cubs. We were way too close. And we were just staring at each other. And things were tense. They say if you ever catch a bear in a bad mood and a standoff occurs, the last thing you want to do is run. It's the last thing you want to do. The bottom line is the bear is faster than you, stronger than you, can swim better than you, and can outclimb you. Other than that, it's about even. <laughs> the rangers say to hold your ground. Stand your ground, scream, yell, throw rocks, and if the bear gets close enough, pop him in the nose. It's the same way with the devil. James said, resist the devil and he will flee. Every time I hear that verse, I think about Coach Carnes from DuCoin when I was playing football back in the day. He took us all as freshmen, and back then, you didn't play football before your freshman year. You started when you were a freshman. And I remember the first thing they taught us was defensive position. Get your knees bent. Get your head up. Get balanced. Get solid. Get in that defensive position. Get ready for what is coming at you. We need to live in that defensive position spiritually. You want to know why? Because the devil will come at us. You want to know why you don't have to be afraid of Satan? Because he will come at us. But we, my friends, will be ready for him. We will resist the devil and he will flee. You got to stand your ground when the devil comes. You got to scream and yell. You got to throw rocks. And if he gets too close, just pop him right in the nose. Verse 3, the foundations of the law have collapsed. The law is supposed to protect the innocent, but the law couldn't protect David from Saul because Saul was the law. Anything we depend on other than the Lord will collapse when we need it most. I'm going to say it one more time. Anything we depend on other than the Lord will collapse when we need it most. Your job can collapse. Your health can collapse. Your relationships can collapse. Your mental facilities can collapse. Your finances can collapse. Now we may interpret these unstable foundations as bad things, but I wanna tell you, not necessarily. The sooner we stop trusting in things that collapse, the better off we are all going to be. How do you protect yourself from ambush? How do you protect yourself from injustice? How do you protect yourself from wickedness? You fully trust in the Lord. His promises have no idea how to collapse. And they hold as firmly in the hurricane as they do in the mundane, as they do in those sizzling hot times in our lives. And David says, what can the righteous do? How are the righteous different than the unrighteous when trouble comes? The unrighteous have nowhere to turn. And the righteous turn to the Lord. The unrighteous will always turn to things that collapse. But the righteous turn to the Lord. Verse 4, I love this. But God still rules. Say that with me. But God still rules. Let's try it again. But God still rules. When life seems out of control. 
A great place to begin is by stating what you might not be experiencing, but you know to be true. David is in a horrible situation, and he says, but God still rules. God is still on the throne. Today isn't looking good, and tomorrow may be worse, but God is still on the throne. My friends are giving me bad advice, but God is still on the throne. My world is falling apart around me, but God is still on the throne. I may live and I may die, but God is still on the throne. You may be fighting disease today, but God is still on the throne. Your bank account may be overdrawn and the taxes are due, but God is still on the throne. Your relational life, your family may be a disaster right now, but God is still on the throne. Your business may be failing and you have no idea what the future will hold, but God is still on the throne. You may be discouraged, heartbroken, desperate, and forlorn, but God is still on the throne. Say it with me. God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. And if God's on the throne, then there must be characteristics of his rule. When life seems to be gaining on you, when you're in a tight place, here are three characteristics of the reign and rule of God. Number one, God watches everything. God knows what you're going through. God is not indifferent to your pain, to your struggles. God weeps with us. And God cares deeply about us. We do not serve an indifferent God. Number two, God examines everyone. The wicked do the wrong things for the wrong reasons. The misguided do the wrong things for the right reasons. The manipulative do the right things for the wrong reasons. But the godly do the right things for the right reasons. God examines our motives. And then number three, God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. Have you ever kind of stepped up and done something? Maybe you kind of felt that ping And you stepped up, you got involved in something, and the whole thing ended up being a gut-wrenching nightmare. You you know the old axiom, no good deed goes unpunished. It's, It's true at times. And what David is reminding us of here is God knows our good intentions. God knows when our hearts are pure. God knows... Us. He truly knows us. The decrees of God are motivated by love. They're offered for the good of those he loves. And God knows our hearts. No one else may understand. But God knows our hearts. Verse 6. Now, now we shift, right? In the Psalms... There's always this idea that God protects the good. But let me tell you, punishment for the evil is always coming. It's just always coming. I was talking to somebody else in between services uh, today, and they were telling me that when they were growing up, their, their mother had a pastor who used to pray these psalms prayers when he led the congregation. So he would pray that God would smite his enemies. And, and, and you know, I mean, it was, he said it really just kind of freaked everybody out. But in the Psalms, you just got to understand, it's coming. It's just coming. So God rains down coals on the wicked, punishing them. A consistent theme in the Bible is that goodness is rewarded and evil is punished. 
and you say, well, God wouldn't punish anyone, then all I can tell you is you're talking about a God who is someone other than the God of the Bible. It may be a God you invented, might be a nice, friendly God, but it's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible punishes evil and rewards good. It is a constant theme. And to help, David brings in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. How's that for an intense story, right? A little fire and brimstone flying about. And he just says, God will judge evil. Five ways God punishes evil. Number one, the plans of the wicked backfire. It is not a bad prayer to pray that the plans of the evil will boomerang on them. What they try to do to others, going to come back and find them. Number two, the wicked are cursed. What is the curse of the wicked? They want more and more of what satisfies less and less. Some of you have been involved in sin to the point sin was all you wanted. And you know this to be true. You always want more and more of what satisfies less and less. And that's how Satan kills you. Number three, evil robs their souls. Evil robs their souls. Oh, you may get what you want. The evil may get what they want. But it'll cost them everything else. Number four, God has withdrawn his presence from them. Did you know the ultimate punishment in the, God, in the Bible isn't destruction? It's the removal of God's presence. It's the removal of God's presence. It's the ultimate punishment. And then number five, the wicked are subject to final judgment. You can always repent until you can't. You can always accept Jesus into your heart until you can't. You can always make things right until you can't. There will be a day when we draw our last breath on earth. And we could till then and then we can't. And then will come the final judgment. The wicked will be judged. By God. Verse 7. Those who do right will see his face. What a great way to end a psalm. Those who do right will see God's face. You may not get a fair shake. The ark of justice may not tip your way. You may be misunderstood. You may even be pursued and targeted by the evil. But those who do right will see his face. I am convinced that one glimpse of God's face will eclipse the aggregate total of all the pleasures and all the pain this world has to offer. I've walked down Appalachian mountains in the pouring rain, soaking wet, laughing, and holding hands with my wife. I've seen the Milky Way on a cold, clear night in the middle of a field as it churned in the sky and it took my breath away. I felt so close to God that chills ran up and down my spine. And I did not want to return to normal time. I have danced with the angels in worship. I have placed hands of faith on the sick and seen them healed. But I have never seen the face of God. And one day I will and nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. Faith in God's deliverance gives us room in a tight spot. It gives us hope when the odds are against us. It keeps us in the battle when capitulation would be so easy. 
If we run away from what we fear, it will pursue us and it will never find a place to stop. Let me assure you, your problems today can outrun, outclimb, outswim, and outwrestle you. Other than that, it's about even. But what might happen if we swallowed our fear? What might happen if we turned around like David and ran right at our Goliath? What might happen if faith welled up within us and we claim the victory over anxiety and fear that is already ours in the name of Jesus? What might happen if we truly realize that God is our protector? What might happen? I want to encourage you. Speak the name of Jesus to your fear. Speak the name of Jesus to your fear because his name, his light will drive the darkness away. Speak the name of Jesus to your fear. Say it with me. Jesus, say it with me. Jesus, one more time. Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is peace in the name of Jesus. There is protection in the name of Jesus and there is freedom in the name of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus is the name above all other names. Lean into it. The freedom It's already there. It's already there. We just need to step in to the reality of what God truly has for his sons and for his daughters. We're going to do a final song. If you would like someone to pray with you, maybe you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Can I just hear an amen from somebody? You ever just get sick and tired of being sick and tired? You ever just get sick and tired having to devil just sort of kick your rear eight days a week we don't have to live like that we don't have to live like that Jesus didn't have to come to earth if he wanted us to live in fear and anxiety because we could have done that without him he came to set us free accept the freedom that is offered in Christ there are going to be some folks on both sides of this area to pray with you. There'll be some folks up in the balcony as well. If you'd like prayer, we'd love nothing more than to pray with you. Let's stand. Let's worship this incredible God who gives us the victory over fear and anxiety.